into the arms of Davis. And a superior team all season long was a superior team tonight. And the Kentucky coronation is complete. Champions 2012. Benny Snell needs five yards to break Sonny Collins' career rushing record. They give it to Benny. Straight ahead. Ten. Five. Touchdown. And a rookie record for Benny Snell Jr. of Kentucky. The All Out Kentucky Podcast. Welcome in to the All Out Kentucky Podcast. Your home for the Kentucky Wildcats basketball and football program. I am your host, AJ Bradley, and I am joined, as always, by my brother and co-host, Sam Bradley. Today is Tuesday, December 13th, and we have another loaded episode for you all. As of yesterday, the Kentucky football team has hired a new running back slash special teams coach, and we would like to introduce that coach to you and give you a little bit of background on him, what his role will look like with the Wildcats and everything in between. We will then shift our focus to the hardwood as we need to recap the Wildcats' 25th straight home victory as they beat the Yale Bulldogs Saturday 69-59. After that, Sam and I will unveil our first ever SEC basketball power rankings as the conference schedule quickly approaches. And just one thing on this, this will be something that we come back to throughout the podcast, throughout the entire college basketball season to continue to keep you guys updated on what's going on in the SEC and which teams are going to pose the biggest threat to the Wildcats in the conference. Lastly, we will head back to the courtroom for another installment of State Your Case as we have a little role reversal this time and Sam will be put in the judge's seat and be firing away the tough questions at yours truly. And with that being said, let's get things going and we start with the most recent hire to the Kentucky football staff, Jay Bulware, as he was announced as the new running backs and special teams coach. And Sam, for those who don't know Coach Bulware, can you help familiarize the BBN on just who we added to our staff? Yeah, thanks for bringing us in there, AJ. And it's an exciting time for Big Blue Nation as Mark Stoops has rounded out his staff or so it seems. I know we made the announcement last episode, AJ, that Liam Combe is returning to Lexington to be our offensive coordinator. However, we need to pump the brakes just very slightly as that is not finalized. However, we do have direct quotes coming from the internal Rams, and they are saying that Liam Cohen will be exiting and returning back to Lexington. However, let's just say the paperwork isn't exactly signed, sealed, and delivered as there's still some stuff that we got to work through. However, now we shift our focus. We do go out and we get our running back and special teams coordinator in Jay Bulware. That name probably doesn't flash any memories in your mind, AJ, nor mine when it first came about, but I've done some digging and it seems as though it is going to be a great fit 
and a very natural hire for Mark Stoops and staff. To familiarize our listeners, Jay Bulware previously coached with Mark Stoops' brother, which is where the interim of the introduction actually happened, AJ. So that's kind of where we come from and how we get the roots as far as the introduction here. Um, He has previously been in the NFL and college football collegiately at the D1 level, AJ, for 26 years. This guy knows his stuff. We're getting a very experienced coach out of Jay. It's going to be a pretty natural fit. Also, because his most recent position, for those of you that may not know, was unofficially with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was, AJ, working with their running back specifically, which is why this is such a great hire. Um, And he was actually working with none other than Benny Snell Jr., which we all know dearly in the Lexington Commonwealth. So it's going to be an exciting hire. He's already come out and did his initial interview, and it sounds like he is pumped up to get to Lexington and get to work. There's going to be some... Slight question marks. He's worked previously, AJ, as a special teams coach, so it's not like he's unfamiliar, but sharing that role, in my honest opinion, is where we've had struggles in the past, so hopefully that's that's something that's not slept on or overlooked. The best thing that I think we're getting out of Jay, AJ, is his recruitment efforts. He is an elite recruiter. Specifically, he comes as a native from... Texas, where he has been able to build quite the regime down there and build a just pattern of gold that he's been able to keep consistently the last couple of years. And hopefully that is translated to Lexington, where we are able to continue his very impressive history of recruitment, especially for the running back position. Um, You know, it sounds like the recruitment efforts are heating up quickly with where Kentucky wants to go in the transfer portal as far as addressing our immediate concerns at the running back position. Now that we've made the announcement and bringing in Jay, look for the Wildcats to strike in the next couple of weeks, if not next week or two, AJ, and finalize the position. I've heard some rumors as far as where we're going within the well, and it's very exciting news, guys. So, Stay posted there. Nothing finalized yet. Me and AJ promise to keep you guys up to date as far as everything is concerned in our recruitment battles and the transfer portal, but we don't want to give you nonsense news. However, I do have some confirmed sources that are saying we are going after some in-SEC conference transfers, AJ. So do with that what you will, but there are some great names in the transfer portal coming from in conference. And it looks like we we're getting our hands in early on that action. So it could be some exciting uh, opportunity to get Jay, his first initial running back with us and let him start getting hitting the ground running. But what stands out with you, AJ, with this hire, as far as Mark Stoops addressing a very needed concern as far as recruiting going forward in our running backs coach? Yeah, Sam, I think you touched on a lot of really good stuff there as far as Jay's career is concerned. And I think the first thing that stands out to me is the 20 plus years of experience. I mean, you're getting a guy who has been around the block. He has seen the game of football grow 
and change over the last 20 years. He's extremely familiar with the running back position. Looking into his past, you know, he has coached primarily running backs, special teams, and tight ends throughout his entire career. So I think you you know it, it, it's safe to say you're getting a guy who's going to be dialed in as far as continuing to grow whichever running backs may be on our roster going forward, and then also shoring up some of those special teams, which we had talked about at nauseum throughout the course of this previous season. So look for him to really stabilize the special teams unit and and start to grow and build with those running backs. And Sam, talking about that experience, He's been around the block, Northern Illinois, Arizona, Stanford, Utah, Iowa State, Auburn, Oklahoma, and Texas. So this guy has coached at a lot of really big programs, spent about six, seven years at Oklahoma. In that time, he was able to work with Mark's brother, Bob. So like you said, Sam, there's some familiarity between these two gentlemen. And let's just look at a quote from Mark Stoops, our head football coach as he was talking about his brand new hire in Jay Bowl, where he said, quote, I'm thrilled to add Jay to our staff at Kentucky. I've known Jay from his time with my brother, Bob, at Oklahoma. I've always been impressed with him and his work ethic. He brings a wide range of experience coaching running backs and in recruiting, along with his expertise and success with special teams. That's what I was looking for in this position, and Jay's in well-regarded and Jay is well-regarded in all of those areas. So I think you're getting a guy with, with high character, with high football IQ, and somebody who's motivated and ready to hit the ground running and wants to be a part of what's going on here in Lexington. So all very positive things from him. Just, you know, one other thing I did want to point out. If you guys are concerned about, well, is he going to be able to develop our running backs, whoever it is that we bring in or if it's the guys who are already on the roster or whatever the case may be a couple guys that he has helped recruit and develop over the course of his career and guys that you may be familiar with if you pay attention and watching the nfl but a running back by the name of trey sermon he plays for the 40 san francisco 49ers he's hurt right now he's been a little banged up but when he has been out there been a very effective back, a guy who's been able to get to the next level. And then a guy who you might have watched on TV last night for the New England Patriots, Ramondre Stevenson. So a couple very different running backs with completely different styles. One is a bigger, physical, stronger back. One is a smaller, more explosive back. But as you can see, this guy's had his hands around a ton of players all over the country. He worked with that Oklahoma program in a very positive time of their career so he has a ton of experience I keep harping on that Sam but I think he's going to bring a lot to the table and I think this was an absolute home run hire for Mark Stoops I know like you said the name is not going to get everyone all fired up but I think once he gets here hits the ground running and, and we start to see the fruits of his labor I think those initial concerns or whatever they may be from BBN are all going to fall by the wayside as they will be extremely fired up to have Jay as a part of the Kentucky football staff and I know if that first field goal goes through the uprights next year 
they might be chanting his name at Kroger Field. That's all I got to say, Sam. <laughs> That's all we've got to see. Just see see the first one go through, whether it's an extra point or a field goal. I think all will be well. But absolutely, it's a great hire, and I'm excited to see what he's able to do, especially with this initial wave of just recruiting and trying to tie up you know, next year's recruiting class, both from the high school level and the transfer portal. But he's got a, a great opportunity ahead of him, and he sounds like he's extremely motivated to get to work. Yep, absolutely, Sam. And we will now transition back to the hardwood. It is the middle of December. It is the thick of college basketball season. That is where everyone wants to be right now. So we will get back to it. Sam, as I stated earlier, Kentucky on Saturday is able to get their 25th straight home victory, which as of right now is best in the SEC Conference. Great to see the Kentucky Wildcats getting back to defending their home court and extending this winning streak again. A 69-59 victory over the Yale Bulldogs in a game that was probably a little tighter than most of BBN had expected. But Sam, you get an absolute dominating performance from our big man, Oscar Shibway in the second half to close out the game and put the Bulldogs away. Let me ask you this, Sam. Was it something that the Yale Bulldogs were doing in the first half to be able to take Oscar Shibway away that we were able to finally figure out in the second half? Or is this just a case of Oscar needs to be a little bit more aggressive from the beginning, demand the ball, and get that rolling from the start of the game to help us to put them away earlier? Yeah, well, you know, you bring up a great question. And I think... Honestly, the way we have to break down this question, AJ, is a little complex. And, and I say that because you and I both sat here and talked about how for Kentucky to be their best, at times we should not have to rely on Oscar Sheboy to score all their points and do it in such a dominating fashion like he had to last year because I honestly still believe and thought, AJ, that we have such a more – diverse team that can go get their own baskets than we did last year to where we shouldn't have to have that pressure all on Oscar's big broad shoulders. That's kind of what you saw in the first half. Cal still going through the motions in this first initial part of the season, AJ, that he has to see if he can get certain players going early in the game and let it naturally come through the progression of our possessions. So, you, yes, you're, you're right. We, we weren't aggressive. We weren't getting in early entries to Oscar every possession in the first half. And I'll have to admit, he wasn't that aggressive demanding the ball where he had, you know, advantages down low. However, I will say we also just were not executing our entry passes. If it wasn't there initially, AJ, we'd rotate the ball and we wouldn't give him a second look. And I didn't really like to see that in the first half. Second half comes around, and you saw all the necessary adjustments. The way we were getting the entry pass into Oscar was extremely creative, and I've got to give a lot of kudos to John Calipari and his staff for being able to creatively come up with some of those variations to get him good looks down low. I mean, when you see him touching the ball in the paint, AJ, there was times where he was basically at the basket, if not underneath, he was positioning himself so low to be able to get those passes in. And I, and I liked what we were doing 
with him off the ball, setting block screens on the opposite side to rotate him around to the dominated side where the ball was to be able to ease that entry pass. Where in the first half, AJ, it was a lot of just let's post him up one-on-one and see if he can just win position. And we were quickly realizing coming into the second half, that's just not going to work. I mean, they're doing a great job of clogging the lane, putting one, two, three bodies on him to initially deny that first pass into the post, AJ. Second half comes around, and we're like, okay, well, we have to free up space for him, and that's what we did a fantastic job of. And we got to give kudos to Oscar for demanding the ball. You listened to his post-game interview, AJ. He said, I went into the halftime, and I said, they can't guard me. Give me the basketball and let me go to work. And, I mean, you saw his work in full fashion Oscar finishes with a dominating 28 points, just too shy of his career high, AJ. I thought he honestly might get it, but as of late, we were able to kind of stretch it out. And you know Calipari, once we got a 10-point lead late in the game, he's just looking to kill the clock and not be aggressive on the offensive end. So I totally understand that. He gets 12 boards to go along with it, two steals, two blocks. I mean, there were stretches of that game, AJ, in the second half where he had 11 straight points for us, a steal, a block, a five rebounds. I mean, he was putting up numbers in a three-minute, five-minute stretch, AJ, that most players kill for an entire game. And you you got to sit back and reflect and say, AJ, Yale had a game plan. Shut Oscar Sheboy down, put three bodies on him at once, especially on the offensive glass. And he's able to come down with five offensive rebounds, 12 total on the game. I mean, he was disruptive and was able to just completely shatter Yale's game plan against the Kentucky Wildcats. You get some healthy efforts from some role players. Obviously, Antonio Reeves finishes with a strong performance. He only hits one three, but 10 points, we needed that from him. Wheeler finishes with an additional 10 points. I think we had enough for our supporting cast to be able to obviously stretch this one out. No, we don't exactly cover, but I believe I talked to you before this game, AJ. That was a tough cover. I mean, this is a a strong Bulldogs team that I do think has a very strong chance of making the tournament later this year. I'd be surprised if they didn't, but at this point, I think they are a tournament team. So for Kentucky to put yet another win on their schedule, that is a win they're supposed to win, AJ. That's what I like to see because now you're you're doing what you're supposed to. Are you dominating in every facet of the game? No, but we still have time to work on that. And there's big opportunities coming up in front of us, not too far out in the distance, to continue to show that effort. But, you know, to, to kind of circle all the way back and then pass it back to you, AJ, I, I do think at this point in the season – I kind of have to go back on my opinion. If we're not able to get things going offensively, like we have showed at times in the half court, there is no better offense, in my honest opinion, than to get the ball into Oscar Sheepway in the post. Because when you see teams like Yale and other teams are going to have to try to replicate it, they're going to swarm him with one, two, three bodies. His ability to finish under traffic and duress and also – pass out of traffic, which he has clearly showed that he has been able to develop that portion of his game. I'm not saying it's at an elite level, but he does enough to make it a threat to be able to distribute the ball back to the exterior. I think that's our best offense, and there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing that if we are struggling to find offensive efficiencies in the next couple of games, especially in this early 
stage of the season for the Kentucky Wildcats. I kind of had to go back on my word because I don't see enough from the rest of the supporting cast that shows anyone can go out and get their bucket. I think the only two that are doing it consistently at the moment, AJ, are Jacob Toppin and Kaysen Wallace, for me at least. And I, I know there's some other players that can do it at times, but in big-time games against big-time opponents, those two stick out, obviously, other than Oscar Sheboy. But w- what are your thoughts from this, in my opinion, AJ, strong win at home, you get a 10-point win against a potential tournament team? Yeah, absolutely, Sam. I think you have to, first off, I think you have to give a lot of credit to to Yale. I thought they came in and they played an extremely hard-fought game. They did not back down from the Kentucky Wildcats. You look at the rebounding battle as it ended. Kentucky nearly wins the, the rebounding battle 32-31, to 31, but, you know, they're right there. So, Sam, I think you hit it perfectly. They came in with a game plan on how to stop Oscar Shibwe, and they threw the kitchen sink at him, right? And it worked for a half. And I think they were able to continue to employ that same defensive strategy because, Sam, you know, the game, it they almost didn't get to do that. And I say that because we started the game out very hot from the three-point land. We're moving the ball around. We're getting good looks. And... Then there just came this lull in the middle of the first half where we really struggled to score the basketball. We wasted a lot of possessions. We weren't able to extend our lead at all. We continued to let Yale stick around. And then it completely flipped in the second half, and we were able to get the ball into Oscar Shibwe. But Sam... That's why I think Yale was able to stick around because there was this point in the middle of the first half where we couldn't really establish Oscar down low because of the way that they were playing him and the way that they were clogging up the lane. And then you saw a little bit of the tentativeness that you've seen at times, a little bit of hot potato. No, I don't want it. No, 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 I don't want it. Okay. No, I don't want it. And so you, you started to see a little bit of that lack of confidence and, and it, you know, I make it sound awful, but it was just a little bit of a struggle compared to what we saw to start the game. And then what we saw in the second half. So I think for the team to have the awareness, the coaches, the players, everybody to say, hey, look, we're going to have to switch some things up at halftime. We're going to have to come out and play a little bit different of a game. Let's establish Oscar down low and let's go from there. And I think, Sam, I think it was really important for the Wildcats to learn in a game where, hey, what we're trying to do may be not necessarily working the exact way we want to. And instead of running into a brick wall all night, let's figure something else out. And I think that adjustment that they made, like you talked about, to be able to move Oscar from one side to the other, to use him as a screener, to establish him down low, as soon as he caught that ball five feet or less from the basket, it was game over. They had two, three guys on him. The announcers kept talking about it. There's two guys on him. There's three guys on him. Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So... It was really good to see Kentucky, hey, things aren't going well as we'd like to, but we are going to 
switch things around, be able to establish our big man down low and really be able to do some different things in order to score enough points to come out with a victory. Because, you know, Calipari talks about it all the time, Sam, and he, he kind of half joke jokes with it, but he's serious. And most teams that are coming into Rupp Arena are very eager and hungry to take down the Kentucky Wildcats, right? So you know, especially with a team like the Yale Bulldogs who don't come in and play Kentucky ever really at all, they're going to lay it all on the line and they're really going to get after it and, and do everything they can to come out with the victory. So to weather the storm throughout the game and then to assert your dominance as the better team with your best player, I think it said a lot about the way the Cats were able to claw and fight their way to another victory against, like you said, another very good team who has a real shot at potentially getting in to the tournament at the end of the season and a team that should do very well within their own conference. And I think we've talked about Oscar Shibwe quite enough, Sam. It was it was very impressive, but two names I wanted to throw out there for you. And one, Jacob Toppin to Xavier Wheeler, and I wanted to ask you about Jacob Toppin because felt like it was a little bit of a disappearing act on Saturday, so like we talk about all the time, Sam, he needs to be aggressive and dialed in. Was this just a case of him not being as aggressive and not being dialed in and being a little bit um, reserved in the game, or was this something that the Yale Bulldogs were able to do specifically? And then when we talk about Xavier Wheeler, 14 shots, Sam, not necessarily what you want to see from your point guard, a guy who's not known to light up the scoreboard, not known for his shooting. Was that just a product of the game itself and the situations he got thrown into, or is that something that we really need to correct going forward and say, hey, listen, we love you, Xavier, but you, that's not your game. We don't need you taking 14 shots a night. We need you down, distributing the ball, getting it out and transition, and setting up our half-court offense. Yeah, two good names to bring up. I think for starters, for Jacob Toppin, I was disappointed in his pro- productivity on Saturday night against Yale. I, I thought that was just, uh, you know, too many minutes for him with 32 on the game, AJ, to not have your fingerprints all over the game. And I don't need necessarily. 15 points a game, AJ, even if he's putting up four to eight points a game, I can live with that if his productivity elsewhere increases and he's out there rebounding and battling and impacting the game in the ways that he can with his wingspan, with his vertical. And he just wasn't putting that on display. I, I And I don't necessarily think, AJ, that was a product of Yale shutting him down. I think that was a product of him not necessarily having the jump in his step and the aggressiveness that we typically do see out of Jacob Toppin. I I don't think he was trying to get to the the basket and let his jump shot from there work interior to exterior. I thought it just at times he was, he was stagnant and we, we need as a team, AJ much more out of him. If we want to have the type of season that we are going to have, because he is a critical piece and you clearly see it night in and night out, AJ, He's going to get the minutes. He is going to see the opportunities. That has been made clear by John Calipari that he has got this spot until he absolutely loses it. 
and it would be awfully bad for the Kentucky Wildcats, AJ, if he just straight up loses that battle because we need him. So, you know, I, I, I think it's I think it's something to keep our eye on. I'm not necessarily saying the sky is falling on Jacob Toppin and I am out. I have full confidence in his ability and how much effort and work he has put in to this point in the offseason and the previous seasons, AJ. But we absolutely have to have more from him, and I'm sure he would be the first person to admit that. When you bring up Severe Wheeler, AJ, and him taking 14 field goals, that's more of a product, whether you and I want to give our honest opinions or not, that's a product of John Calipari still allowing Severe Wheeler to have his green light. And I think if you – because hear me out, guys. I'm sure our listeners sitting at home, AJ, are probably like, well, what the heck? I don't want Severe to have that green light because he's clearly not our best shooter. He doesn't get the best looks. And we could be distributing some of those shots to guys like Kaysom Wallace, Antonio Reeves, and Jacob Toppin to be able to get them going throughout the game. What I'll have to say to that is – In my honest opinion, and I think Calipari sees it the same way, it's difficult. I I hear you. I hear the argument. But if you want Severe Wheeler at his best, you have to let him play his basketball game. Sometimes you do not see Oscar, or I mean, sorry, Severe Wheeler put up 14 shots game. Actually, AJ, majority of the time, you never see him put up that many shots. So I don't think this is cause for concern moving forward. I think it was what we were seeing. He was having opportunities. I think he forced a few, and and so be it. But I think that's not going to change as far as him being stripped of the green light that Calipari gives him because we have to bode confidence in this young man, and he needs to continue to be our leader moving forward, AJ. And the last thing you want to do is mess up his game and his flow by saying, severe, severe, hey, here's the thing. Come out of the game. You're not allowed to shoot anymore. You're not allowed to shoot because he's already, you know, a guy that struggles to find his shot at times. And he's not even that bad of a shooter, AJ. I think he gets way too much tarnish from Big Blue Nation than he deserves. But the last thing you need to do is take a average shooter and tell him stop shooting because then he's going to question every time if he does have that light to shoot. I think the best you get out of Severe is when he has that light so defenses still have to somewhat respect his opportunities so he can then redistribute the ball the best way he does like he has night in and night out. I mean, still, AJ, I don't like what he did this game, but I'm not going to say the sky is falling on him either because, yes, he had 14 shots and only one assist, but that's a rarity, AJ. We, we have to step back and say, okay, not a great night for you. You have to admit it. Let's bounce back. Let's distribute the ball. But don't just say, you're done with the opportunities. You can't shoot the ball anymore. But do, do you think either Jacob Toppin or Severe Wheeler are a glaring issue for the Kentucky Wildcats right now after Saturday's performance? And if so, how do you fix it? No, I don't think either of them are a glaring issue, Sam. And I think you did a really good job of of breaking that down. Um, like you said, I mean, Severe is not a guy who, yeah, he may have had the 14 shots in this game, but like, like you said, it's, it's more a product of the way in which the game unfolded and, um, 
you know, like we said, that second half, we made it clear. We're working the ball around, and, you know, this may not have been said, but if you're shooting or doing anything without the ball touching Oscar's hands, like you're probably going to get taken out of the game. So um, his assist numbers, obviously not up very high. And that was just, Hey, we got to work the ball around. Doesn't matter who has it. Somebody's got to be able to feed that ball into the post. And we were able to do that with some of our other players. So that really kind of took the ball out of his hands a little bit more. And then Sam, like you said, he was, when he did have the ball, I think, you know, they kind of gave him a little bit of that lane, like, hey, we'll let you drive a little bit, and then we'll close on you with what we have down low and, and things of that nature. So neither of these guys caused to concern. The one thing I will say about Jacob Toppin is he has just he has to find a way to stay engaged in what is going on in the game. And I don't know what the best way to do that is. I'm looking at our coaching staff to find a way at the beginning of the game, run some plays for him, get him to come off some screens for some open jump shots, get him involved in the game early, because I feel like when he gets involved in the game early, he continues that throughout. But when he is not involved in what's going on early, he has a bad tendency to fade away and and be a guy that you almost don't remember he's out there. And that is the last thing we need from him. We need him to be making impactful winning plays all the time. And Sam, like you said, it does not have to come from scoring the basketball. We need to see him be a more aggressive rebounder. John Calipari even talked about it. The dude's a freaking pogo stick. Go get up there and get the ball, man, you know? So just need to see a little bit more spark from him, a little bit more energy to stay engaged throughout the game because, Sam, you keep touching on it. That is going to unlock so much of what this basketball team can do. We really need him to be a major factor. So the sky is not falling. There's no cause for concern. But the topping thing, I think continue to monitor we just need to see him continue to be aggressive and then Savir I think it's it's a one-off thing it's not something that's going to be oh my gosh this guy's stealing a bunch of shots from everybody and people are going to start getting pissed and all this stuff no 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 not any of that stuff Sam so you know I'll give you a little bit of an opportunity Sam if you wanted to touch on any of the other players that stuck out to you in the game like we've said a very gritty team win way to battle through some tough times throughout the game, even when it was close and be able to pull away in the end. But a guy that I, you know, I think he's kind of my guy now, you know, like Chris Livingston is now my guy. Cause I'm going to keep bringing him up sand because I kind of called him out a little bit at the beginning of the season and told you he felt like the odd man out to me. And that was more just because of, he wasn't doing much on the offensive end, so he was struggling to find um, some minutes there. But as John Calipari has started to give him more minutes, you're starting to see this kid thrive in the role that he's being asked to do. Extra bonus, he even drilled a top-of-the-arc three-pointer in the game. It was a great look. He was open, and he didn't, he didn't hesitate. He fired. And I love to see that confidence from him, a guy who hasn't scored the ball much all year, you'd think would come in and be in that moment and just... I got to, I don't know, and then shoot it and miss it. And so he pulled up, very confident, 
absolute beautiful shot, but you saw him out there taking the ball hard to the rim, rebounding, defending, doing all the little things that this team needs to do. And Sam, I really look at him as somebody who can just continue to be a spark plug for this basketball team. When we need a guy to come in, he's going to give that energy. It's Chris Livingston. And as you stated, it may not show up on the box score with gaudy numbers or maybe just little tiny numbers sometimes, but the impact it has on winning and the impact it has on the energy and the focus level of the team and getting the crowd into the game and getting the energy levels back up is just absolutely massive. So I just wanted to take a minute here to point out that Chris Livingston is my guy. I am rooting for him. I want to see him continue to get better and better. I think the sky's the limit for that guy if he continues to grow and what he can become. But for now, Sam, he is filling his role on this team to a T, and he is somebody who John Calipari can start to look at the other guys on the team and say, this guy only gets seven, eight minutes a night, and look what he's doing. He comes to work every day. He's grinding his ass off. He doesn't complain about anything. And then when he gets in the game, he takes advantage of his opportunity, and he, and he, and he gives it his all. So, again, just wanted to take a second to point out the play of Chris Livingston. I know it is, it's in little spurts, but guys... He's doing a great job, and I just wanted to recognize him. So, Sam, I didn't know if there was anybody else outside of Chris that you wanted to touch on that you thought played really well and really impacted the game on Saturday, but he's my guy. No, yeah, and he he, he is quickly showing that he is going to be that guy for the Kentucky Wildcats and John Calipari, AJ, because this is back-to-back games where he has led the bench in minutes. So you can see that the trust factor from Calipari with Livingston is growing and it's going to continue to increase because you just harped on everything that I wanted to say. He, he is starting to impact the way that we really need him to, and he's bringing the energy. And for his ability to elevate and knock down a shot or two like that where he did against the Bulldogs, that's massive for us as a team and for him to be able to carve out minutes, AJ. I mean, he finished with, with 14 minutes, 7 points. He was flying around. He was doing the things that we are going to be asking him to do. And for that reason, I think he will continue to get rewarded with more minutes and more opportunities to impact the game, AJ. And I'm very excited for that because I think, like you just said, he's the type of player that stays ready and he's not going to fumble those opportunities. And I want to see him grow in minutes and opportunities because I really do think he's that I'm ready for anything. And I know when I get into the game, I have to impact the game in some facet. So super happy for him. I will continue to keep my eyes on him. I do think he's going to have a full-on breakout game at some point, AJ. I think it will be the, we look back and it's the Chris Livingston game where we, we kind of have one of those the last couple of seasons with all of those role players that we have, AJ. So hopefully we'll get that opportunity very soon. I think the last person I got to say is it's disappointing, not because of his efforts or where he is at this season, but I really wish we could see more of Damian Collins. I think he is exactly that AJ. I think he's that impact player that can make a high flying play, a dunk, a block, a pass that impacts the game in just his natural state. We just haven't been able to see him break through yet. I feel bad for the kid. I don't think it's a lack of effort. I think he's kind of gotten hosed with some foul calls here and there where he's been able to come in, AJ, and 
he goes for the block and he gets the foul and he just he immediately gets pulled by Calipari. So I, I think it, I'm not done giving my you know two cents on him because I really do think that he can still break through and be more of a critical piece to this roster where he's carving out 10-ish minutes a game, AJ, if not more. I think Calipari has every intention to get him over that hump. I really hope he's able to do it because I'm just saying that the more we can deepen our roster, the better off we're going to be. I'm not necessarily saying guys, and I'm not, because I don't think the best teams in the nation should roll with eight to 10 people. I, I don't. However, the teams that are able to roll with those consistent numbers of seven and eight players where the five get the most minutes like us right now. And if, if you look at our starting five, AJ, they're all getting close to 30 plus minutes a night. So they, they're heavily carrying this team. But if we're able to add a few more critical minutes out of Damian Collins going forward, that's going to be huge for us. And especially runs within SEC play where you are going to be banged up, AJ, and we are going to have to give some more minutes where they're due because some guys are going to be beat up or slightly hurt or tired or making mental mistakes. So that's something just to keep our eyes on because I really hope that he can break through and have the type of season that John Calipari was alluding to in the preseason, AJ. He was constantly saying – Damian Collins is one of the best players that we have had all offseason. His jump and his elevation and his play from last year to this year is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, on the team. So it's still something I think that he might be able to get into one of these games here in the near future, AJ, and really make his impact and start taking away a few minutes here and there from other players that aren't fighting as hard as they should be fighting. And, I, you know, I'm not dropping names, but they, they just have to fight harder, in my opinion. It, and that's where I'll leave it. Yep, Sam, I think we've broken down and recapped this game just about as much as we can. We will, again, be previewing, breaking down, ready to roll for the big game this weekend against UCLA. Another chance for the Kentucky Wildcats to get a big-time victory. Which brings us, Sam... To our first ever SEC basketball power rankings. It is time. Me and Sam have discussed this a lot. We wanted to have a little fun, do these power rankings, help you guys see what's going on in the landscape of the SEC. The way we thought we'd do this is kind of break these teams down into four different tiers within the SEC from top to bottom. That way you guys can stay in tune with some of the better teams in the league, be able to look at the upcoming schedule and when Kentucky is going to play these teams and really stay in tune with what they're doing, how they're playing, and how they're stacking up compared to the Kentucky Wildcats. And I think, Sam, this will be really fun because as we look at it now, I think there's no doubt that the SEC is definitely one of, if not the most loaded conference in the entire country this season with a lot of very, very good teams that have a chance to make some deep March runs. So the SEC basketball season is rapidly approaching. There are going to be some prime time games this season. A lot of tough matchups. So Sam, let's start right at the top. And I think the way that we had decided was 
there is definitely a clear-cut top four teams in the SEC as we see it right now. And those four teams, in no order, would be the Tennessee Volunteers, the Alabama Crimson Tide, the Kentucky Wildcats, and the Arkansas Razorbacks. So Sam, let's throw it back to you and... Let's give it to our listeners. How do you see those top four teams right now? Who's up there at number one? And then give us one through four. Yeah, I mean, I I see it the exact same way you do, AJ. There are tiers to the SEC as of right now. And in my honest opinion, that is definitely my tier one. I think sitting at the top of the tier, AJ, I have to give it to the Alabama Crimson Tide. They have a heck of a basketball team right now. And it's not only because of their most recent win over the number one Houston Cougars. I, I think it's their collective of work so far, AJ. When you look at their efficiency numbers defensively, and when I say defensively, AJ, I say that with an emphasis because typically these Alabama Crimson Tide just put up threes and they're constantly going over the emphasis of the more shots we can put up, especially from the perimeter, the better off we're going to be. I mean, we've seen it for the past couple of seasons, AJ, that they're all about offensive efficiency and putting up shots. They really haven't harped on defense. This is a team, AJ, with net adjustments, is the 12th best defense in the entire country who just went up against the number one team in the country in Houston, AJ. Came back from down 15. You know why they did that, AJ, if you watch that game? It was not because they just started draining shots. They did start making some shots. Every team has to if you want to win a basketball game. It was with their defensive presence, AJ. Their intensity got ratcheted up a couple of notches, and it was incredible to watch because they honed in on what they had to do. They slowed them down, the Houston Cougars down, and they were able to eventually deplete that 15-point deficit and ultimately come away with the victory this is a team that is rolling aj and they still have some very key matchups coming up where they're going to be able to defend themselves as far as sitting atop as the top five team in the entire country in my honest opinion i think it's clear that they sit atop the sec current rankings within that first tier i don't know if you necessarily agree but i'll pass it back to you to see if you agree and then give me your number two, because I, I want to see if we, we have alignment here. Well, we definitely do not have alignment because Alabama is not my number one team in the SEC right now. Very, very good win against Houston. A true road game in their barn. Their only loss this season is to Ken Palm's number one rated team in the UConn Huskies was pretty competitive, but I thought that UConn was able to separate themselves a little bit from Alabama in that game. So Sam, I know they have one loss on their resume against a eh, so-so team in Colorado, but the Tennessee Volunteers are my number one power-rated team in the SEC right now. Outside of that lone loss, they have two top 20 wins this season against Kansas and Maryland. I think that Kansas win is one of the better wins in the entire country. Um, I just look at this Tennessee team with the experience that they have, the talent that they have. I know they have the one loss, but for me, 
they were my number one rated team coming into the season in the SEC. I don't think they've shown me anything that has made them drop down as good as that Alabama win was against Houston. And Sam, Alabama is my number two team, and they are not very far behind Tennessee. Like I said, their only losses to number one UConn, they've beaten North Carolina, Michigan State and Houston already so a very good start to their season I think that Alabama is my number two team Um, do you have Tennessee at number two or have you slid the Kentucky Wildcats up there my friend don't hate me big blue nation and all the listeners but I, I do have Tennessee sitting at number two AJ and like you said a lot of it comes down to their experience level AJ they have a lot of returners and a whole lot of productivity on the offensive end that they are able to rely on in key games like you said AJ that resounding win against Kansas really sticks out in my mind as one of the better wins in college basketball thus far in the season There's definitely some other ones, and don't get me wrong, that's kind of why I had Alabama higher than them because despite both teams having a loss, I thought the way that they were able to come back and erase that deficit that they had against Houston and their only sole loss being to, like you said, Kim Palm's number one team, that's why they stuck out as the number one team in the SEC. Tennessee, guys, this is a great Tennessee team. And like we said, we've they've got a lot of returners. What sticks out to me most, AJ, is they have the number one defense in the entire country, AJ. Every opponent that they have played thus far, they have held 10 points or under their season average so far, AJ. This is a team that will get up in you. They have great guard play, and this is going to be a Tennessee team that is threatening for a deep run come March. The only reason I have a caveat there is because they've never been able to do it. (laughs) They have to break through at some point, I think. But this is a team that has never even been to the Final Four, guys. So you have to take that into consideration. Yeah, we we can't fault them in the regular season for their their playoff woes, Sam. That's that's not really fair. And that's why I have them at number two, AJ. So exactly. exactly. I'm giving credit where credit is due. So I think it's safe to say, Sam, that me and you both have Kentucky power rated as the number three team in the SEC right now, unless you have Arkansas ahead of them? No, it's it's a good question. I do have Kentucky at number three. However, if you could put an asterisk next to the number three, there is one at least for me, AJ. And the reason being is because I really, really like what I am seeing from this Arkansas team, especially as of late. The reason I'm putting that star is because like Kentucky, Arkansas has had to overcome a few injuries and absences early in the season. I still think they are a team that is not even close to their ceiling yet. They are still trying to find out where to go for productivity offensively at times throughout the game when they've had two key players either out at the beginning of the season or a recent injury that has woed them as of late. So I think they are like Kentucky where we they haven't quite found their total rhythm yet, but since adding five-star Nick Smith Jr. back to the roster, AJ. They have showed that they are a defensive presence, and he is an offensive juggernaut. 
I say that because in his last three games since coming back, AJ, he's put up 16, 22, and 21, AJ, and he has done it effortlessly. Nick Smith Jr. is a type of player that is going to dominate at the collegiate level, and he is ready for the NBA. I do have Kentucky sitting atop them right now, like I said, with that asterisk. The reason being is I think we have a little more continuity and identity than this Arkansas team, and that might just come down to the fact that they had another bad injury happened to them the other day, and they're going to now have to readjust yet again to find out where they're going offensively moving forward. So um, don't get me wrong, they're both right there, but I do have the Kentucky Wildcats sitting at three. Sounds like you've got them at three. Why do you have them over Arkansas as of right now? Yeah, Sam, and so um, for me, I had Kentucky. um, Coming into the season, I had Tennessee one, Kentucky two, Arkansas three, Alabama four. And so um, Alabama has done a lot to impress me throughout the course of the the first, you know, 10 games or so in where I wanted to, to bring them up. Kentucky, they've just dropped down that one spot for me because, you know, I'm not, they lose two games, but I'm not going to hold that against them entirely because like you said, we dealt with injuries. We hadn't practiced much you start to see that those things are starting to get ironed out. We had some tough games at the beginning of the season. We weren't ready as a team to play those games. We still fought hard. The Michigan State game, we had it. We weren't able to hit a couple free throws. So you go on the road against Gonzaga. You know, I guess it wasn't on the road, but we talked about this. That was a damn road game. So I'm not going to hold that too much against Kentucky. So they are slide down from two to three and then Arkansas hasn't shown me enough to pass over Kentucky and Sam you do bring up a very key point Um, one of their more intricate players on their team Trevin Brazil is now out for the season with a knee injury he was playing very good basketball to start the season so again without Nick Smith Jr. to start the season he's back now you lose Brazil so it's there's been times, and think back to the last couple seasons, it's not new for Arkansas, okay? They play a lot of basketball games like this where ho-hum for long stretches of the game. And then, Sam, the one thing that Arkansas Razorbacks do better than any team in the entire country, in my mind, is they can blitz you like you have not seen before. The game will be tied, and within three minutes, they'll have a 15-16 point lead because when they ratchet up their defense and they get out in transition, they can absolutely blitz you like I have not seen before. You saw it in the NCAA tournament last year. Multiple games, they were down by 15-plus points, and they come absolutely storming back to win those games so they can get after it in a hurry but I need to see just a little bit more consistency from that team I need to see them play some tougher teams continue to go on see how they battle through these injuries but like we said Sam you could nitpick all day about these four teams but I think it's very clear that these four teams sit at that tier one level of the SEC no doubt about it when we move on to tier two Sam for me There's three teams that sit in this tier, and then there is a clear cutoff. And I think these three teams aren't necessarily in the same class as the four we just spoke about, but I still think all three of these teams are top 50-ish 
teams in the entire country, which makes them very, very good and very, very dangerous within this conference. And for me, it's Mississippi State, it's Auburn, and it's Ole Miss. You might not like everything about them, but the talent is there, the coaching is there, and they're getting after it. They've all won a lot of games to start this season. So between those three teams, Sam... Are there any that stick out to you that have been better than the other? Or is this just a case of these three are kind of all in this same class struggling to see if maybe one of them could peek their way up into that top tier throughout the course of this SEC season? Yeah, no, I I do have the same kind of tier that you do, AJ. Auburn and Mississippi State for sure. I think, um, you know, everyone was pretty high on Missouri here. Uh, at the initial start of the season, AJ, and then obviously they kind of have a game where they get exposed and, you know, reality kind of quickly sets in. But they are definitely a team that to watch just strictly off the fact that their offensive efficiency is unparalleled to anyone else in the entire country. They have the most fast break points and they have the most deals in the entire country so far. They're able to pick you up full court and they're able to really wreak havoc on opposing guards. So they are definitely a team to continue to watch as they grow throughout the season. However, when we're looking at this next tier within SEC and we're looking at right now, AJ, I do think Mississippi State sticks out to me as the top of that second tier. The reason being, AJ, is Mississippi State has not lost a basketball game yet. Have they had the strength of opponent's schedule like some of these other SEC teams that have been at – the top of the first tier, AJ, that we just got through mentioning? No. They really haven't had a big test on their schedule yet. They are going to get into the meat and potatoes of their schedule with their first real huge test, AJ, coming against Alabama at home. That's in a couple of weeks, so something to keep your eye on. But you can't really bring a team down just because they've taken care of business and they're undefeated. They've had an extremely successful start to their season. They're winning basketball games, and they have the sixth best defense in the entire country, AJ. When I look at this SEC depth, AJ, it's insane. We have one, two, three, four, five, six teams, AJ, that have top 20 defenses in the entire country thus far into the season. Like we said, and like we will continue to say, it's going to be tough to win in the SEC. We've got a lot of great talent. Sitting just underneath them, I have Auburn, AJ. I think they are one of those teams that throughout the rest of the season, they are extremely well coached under Bruce Pearl. They can definitely get some wins and get into that top tier if someone falters. However, I do think they are safely in that second tier, AJ. They have one sole loss on their season. They currently sit at the 19th ranked team in the entire country. And that sole loss, AJ, was their most recent game against Memphis. That's not going to necessarily be a bad loss come at the end of the season. However, I don't exactly think losing to Memphis is going to be something that they reflect fondly on. But they definitely sit there for me, AJ, as the second best team in that tier two level. How about you? Yes, yeah, Sam, I have it the exact same way. I think Mississippi State would be the best of those three teams. And then I have Auburn smack dab right there in the middle and then Ole Miss bringing up the rear of tier two. I think I'll just make one comment about Auburn. 
really have not impressed me this year. They've played a very, very lackluster schedule to start the season. They've struggled in some of those games. And the best team they've played by far this season is the Memphis Tigers. And the Memphis Tigers took care of business and beat them. So not extremely impressed with Auburn. I'm going to need to see them get a lot better. But um, obviously with the coaching, some experience there, they're not a bad team by any means. Just need to see some more for them. And then Ole Miss, I think they're they're a good team. You know, they've lost to Memphis as well. They lost to Oklahoma, both top 50 wins. Um, I think Memphis is a little better than people may be giving them credit for to start the season. Penny Hardaway has a pretty deep team um, this season. And so they Ole Miss also, though, does have one top 50 win against the team, Florida Atlantic. I don't think many teams would, many people around the country would think Florida Atlantic is a very good team, but they do have a solid squad this year. So a, a, a good win for Ole Miss in that regard, but have not beaten a real primetime team. And as we look down at the latter half of the SEC, SEC, Sam, in these power rankings, you have seven teams left that we haven't talked about, and none of which really have done anything this year. None of these teams have any good wins on their schedule. To be honest, you have this next group of teams that I think are not the bottom feeders of the league, but they're in that below average tier for this conference. And for me, it's Florida, it's LSU, it's Texas A&M, and then bringing up the rear, it's Missouri. Florida, LSU, Texas A&M, they haven't really done a whole ton. All of them have really lost their toughest games on their schedule. They've shown some flashes here and there. And then Sam, I have to put Missouri down there because yeah, sure, you started undefeated and you beat a bunch of bottom feeders in college football or college basketball, I'm sorry, but the one game on your schedule that you try to get hype for is Kansas, and you get absolutely ran off your home gym. It's a bad look, especially when you really haven't played anybody of note, and then the first game you do, you can't even keep it within 30 points. I mean, kind of embarrassing for them, not going to lie, so... Those four teams for me, I don't have a whole ton to say about them. I don't know if you wanted to shed some light on any four of these teams, Sam. If you do, you can. If not, why don't you just share with our listeners the bottom three teams in this conference that are really struggling to start the season? No, I mean, not much of no. I I did mention Missouri earlier. I think they pose opportunities to win games especially within the sec they are a team that can figure it out but you're you're right you have to look at their their efforts thus far it was dominating because they were playing a whole bunch of nobodies and then yeah they have a true test at home mind you aj and they get absolutely demolished by the kansas jayhawks in a true just disgusting fashion they got ran out of their own gym aj so um that's definitely something to know other than that i don't love the teams that you mentioned i think lsu is a team that can potentially figure it out i think they have enough pieces to be able to put together a strong season but again they they have not scheduled too many tough opponents to this point in their season and their sole loss is coming to K-State, which was a two-point loss where they actually did have the opportunity to win that basketball game, AJ. So we could be sitting here looking at an LSU team that is undefeated. The bottom tier, AJ, I will have to say, 
is just clear cut to me, AJ. They are three very bad teams. We've got, in my opinion, the Georgia Bulldogs look terrible, AJ. The South Carolina Gamecocks look awful. And the Vanderbilt Commodores could not look worse. All three of these teams, AJ, are going to struggle to find wins. I do not see them as tournament teams unless somehow, some way, one of those teams comes away with a victory in the SEC tournament. But other than that, I don't have much more to say because, gosh, AJ, they are just playing bad basketball. Yeah, it's not great basketball, Sam, for sure. And, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, at least for South Carolina, I will say they beat Clemson, who's uh, around – they're in the 70 to 80 range of, of, of teams ranked, but that's the only decent win they have on their schedule. You look at Vanderbilt, I mean – they come away with a nice home win against Pittsburgh the other day, and then what do you do? You follow it up with an absolutely brutal loss to the 236th-ranked team in the nation in Grambling State. I don't know if a lot of you spend time on Twitter. If you do, there is a, a man who runs a college basketball account. His name is John Rothstein, and he lives, breathes, dies college basketball and one thing he likes to say is when you play a really bad team he calls it a bye game and what did he say after Vanderbilt loses to Grambling State he says Vanderbilt loses a bye game to Grambling State the epitome of brutality and that's exactly what it is you you absolutely cannot lose those types of basketball games if you want to get the respect around the country and within your conference and be able to potentially get into the tournament without winning your conference tournament and those are the type of losses that absolutely derail your season after you come off one of your better wins of the season so Sam I think it's very clear Vanderbilt Georgia South Carolina have done nothing this season so far to show us that they can hang with the likes of Kentucky or Arkansas, let alone those teams. I don't know if they're going to be able to compete that much with the Mississippi States, the Auburns, the Ole Misses of the conference, but it is a long season and they have a chance to get better. And we will see how that all shakes out, Sam. Next week, we'll be back with you bringing you some new rankings again. Actually, you know what, Sam? We might we might hold off. Maybe, maybe we'll do two weeks on this and give it a little time. I know it's finals week right now. Not a ton of action going on. There are some big games this weekend. But once this weekend hits and flowing into next week, you're going to start to see a lot of really good matchups, a lot of conference teams starting to get into that, into that conference play. So should be super, super exciting, Sam. Those are our power rankings for the SEC. Like I said, we'll continue to update those as the year goes on. Sam, only one thing left to do, my friend. And, and that's put you on the hot seat, baby. That is. So I will pass it over to you. I will sit back and I will digest whatever question you're going to ask me. And hopefully I can give a very informed and proper answer for our listeners and make them a little bit smarter absolutely aj well i know you just like i do watch a lot of college basketball not only the kentucky wildcats but especially within sec and for you the big 10 aj you catch a lot of those games and you've got your eyes and ears 
all around the college basketball realm. So the question that I have for you today, AJ, is for you to defend the case for the next three minutes in the argument of, as of right now, AJ, the 2023 Wooden Allen Award favorites are pretty clear cut. We've got three to four players that have any argument to be in the conversation as of now in the point of the season. Clear-cut favorite, AJ, is definitely Zach Eady of Purdue. We then have Oscar Shibway of Kentucky and Trace Davis of Indiana. A few round out the top five, and Drew Timmy and Jalen Wilson of Gonzaga and Kansas. However, my big question to you to defend the case, AJ, is not only can Oscar Shibway repeat, and if so, why, but the more important question I want you to defend and answer for our listeners here today, AJ, is, is it more important for the Kentucky Wildcats to have Oscar Shibway be a back-to-back National Player of the Year, or where do we need his performances to continue to go to where the Kentucky Wildcats can de- cut down the nets come March? I will give you the floor. Yes, yeah, Sam. So very, very interesting question. And, um, First off, I think that it is possible for Oscar to repeat as the National Player of the Year. Do I think it's likely? No, I don't. I think that at the end of the season, you're going to have a tough time unless Oscar just completely separates himself from the pack to give it to him again when there's going to be someone else out there who is quite deserving of the award. So I'd be interested to see how that would play out if that was the scenario. So I think, Sam, he would have to do something very extraordinary and go on some sort of run where he, like I said, he just completely separates himself from the pack. He's got a lot of time to do it, and I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, but I think that's what would have to happen for him to win back-to-back National Player of the Year awards. I think he could have a season and will have a season in which he is deserving of the award, but he just may not get it. And I think that in order for the Kentucky Wildcats to be able to potentially get to a Final Four, get to a national championship, and potentially win, cut down those nets, I think, Sam, Oscar Shibway has to be the national player of the year. I think we need the best from Oscar Shibway. I think it's clear earlier in early in the season as we have come out with not a lot of practice time and you can see how it's growing game by game for this team but Oscar continues to need to be that stabilizing force for this basketball team and he needs to be the guy when the times get tough demand the basketball and go to work man because there is not many guys in college basketball that can slow you down in the way you rebound the basketball both on the offensive glass and the defensive glass give us a very 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 good chance of winning basketball games and I think if we really Sam are going to make a deep deep run 
he is going to have to be an integral part of that. And I know maybe a lot of people would point to the game against St. Peter's last year and say, well, Oscar absolutely dominated the game and we didn't come away with the victory. So is it really all that important for him to be our best player on a consistent basis? And I honestly, that game, it is what it is, okay? It was a one-off. Oscar is the key to our success, Sam. Yes, do we need the rest of our players around him to step up and to continue to grow and play their roles? 100%. But you want to know what Oscar Shibwe's role on this team is? It's being the baddest dude on the court and going out there and dominating, okay? And so I think it's all tied together. I love the way that you asked that question, Sam. I don't necessarily think he's going to win the National Player of the Year, But if Kentucky is going to win a national championship, get to a Final Four, and do all those things, he has to be National Player of the Year worthy. And I mean, like, you can make an absolute case that this guy should win it, regardless of whether he does or not. He absolutely has to be that guy to elevate our game to potentially get us to that level, Sam, and Hopefully, I was able to make my case. That's all I got for you. Hey, man, it's your case, and you made it. But I absolutely agree with you. I think it's going to be an integral part to the success that the Kentucky Wildcats see. And I love the way that you stated your case and defended it so definitively for our listeners. So, um, absolutely, I agree. And the world is Oscar's oyster, man. What? 100% Sam and that about does it for us tonight I think that is all that we have got we have run slightly long a little over an hour it's okay you're gonna have plenty of time to digest everything we just went through before our next episode comes out this weekend for you guys getting you all ready for the big time matchup with the UCLA Bruins and Sam there is just one thing that I would like to say before we get out of here. And for those of you who maybe haven't heard, and for those of you who have somebody who is not a part of the Kentucky family, but is part of the SEC family, and that is head coach of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, Mike Leach. He is in the hospital right now. He, according to reports, has suffered a serious heart attack. He is struggling right now. Him and his family are in the hospital. So please pray for this man and his family and just keep him and his family and the Mississippi State family in your thoughts and prayers as we move forward. Mike Leach is an absolute national treasure, a man that needs to be kept alive at all costs, and we hope and pray that he can make a full and speedy recovery and get back on his feet. But the most important thing is let's give him our thoughts and prayers and continue to pour support for him and his family as they go through this trying time. And I just wanted to point that out, Sam, because the more that everybody can be thinking about him and sending him the positive vibes and all the prayers and everything that you can, it's only going to help lift his spirits and hopefully be able to make a recovery. So with that being said, Sam, I think it's time to get out of here. We'll wish him the best. We can't wait to get back on the podcast and go cats. See y'all. 
there's only one thing left to say. Oh, C-A-T-S, cats, cats, cats.